R.J. Simpson is the new premier of the Northwest Territories. 88 cops in Edmonton and Calgary resigned or retired during disciplinary hearings, allowing them to avoid discipline but also seek out a job somewhere else. Canadian banks are fined for not reporting suspicious transactions related to terrorism or money laundering. The greenhouse gases emitted by wildfires is not included in official government data related to greenhouse gases. And new policies for international students will restrict enrollment based on students' income. Good morning. It's Friday, December 8th. I'm Nora. Here are your headlines. First to Yellowknife, where the legislature there has selected the next premier, replacing Caroline Cochran. Member for Hay River North, R.J. Simpson, won on the second round of voting, according to the Canadian press. He was first elected in 2015 and has held positions for education, culture, employment, and justice. The extremely short article explains that the premier and cabinet of the Northwest Territories is chosen by consensus among elected members. And that's it. That's all the information in this article. Pretty thin and weak reporting from Canada's National News Service on the victory, at least as it appeared in CTV News. Luckily, we have Ollie Williams at Cabin Radio, who explains that Simpson defeated Kieran Testard in the runoff ballot. Caroline Wazonik was out on the first ballot. It was a secret ballot, and the winner needed to have a majority of the votes of the 19 MLAs who voted. The cabinet will be Lisa Semler, Caitlin Cleveland, Lucy Kuptana, Jay McDonald, Vince McKay, and Wazonik. Shane Thompson is the speaker, though he had sought to be the premier too. The Territories' cabinet has to have two members who are from north of Yellowknife, two who are from Yellowknife, and two who are from the south of Yellowknife. Because of this formula, Testart didn't get a cabinet seat. For the first time since 2011, the Premier will be from a riding outside of Yellowknife. Next to Edmonton, where CBC's Taylor Lambert has done some interesting data analysis from information he got from a Freedom of Information request. 50 members of the Calgary Police Service and 38 members from the Edmonton Police Service either retired or resigned while under misconduct investigations. But by resigning, they were allowed to then work as a cop somewhere else. The data that Lambert got from the Calgary Police didn't include what the officers were charged with. They argued that that would violate privacy, but Edmonton Police did release it. 35 people had been charged with discreditable conduct. 17 with deceit, and 14 unlawful or unnecessary exercise of authority. Just one person was charged with drinking booze while on the job. Ian Sanderson, chair of the Alberta Association of Police Governance, thinks that it's okay that cops have this quote-unquote escape hatch, that if they were forced to go through the process and not allowed to resign or retire, quote, a cloud investigation might make it harder to find other work in policing, unquote, paraphrases Lambert. But in at least one case, a Calgary officer who was facing formal complaints resigned during the investigation and then resurfaced as the chief of police of Camrose. And despite the fact that the province has made many changes to the Police Act, and despite the fact that there have been calls for this loophole to be closed, the government has not done it. Criminology professor at the University of Alberta, Temitope Oriola, has argued that other changes need to be made too, like increasing the level of training required to become a cop. 
Currently, all it takes is a high school education and then six months and a half of training, which is, I mean, less than it takes to become pretty much anything else. Oriola points to the fact that more educated cops tend to use less force or face misconduct complaints. This change was also not made by the Alberta government. Next to more bank news, CIBC and the Royal Bank have both been fined for, quote, non-compliance with money laundering and terrorist financing measures, unquote, reports the Canadian press. The penalty for CIBC was just $1.3 million, and for RBC, it was for $7.4 million. I don't know if that means that RBC's fraud was seven times worse than CIBC's or if they just got a higher fine. Canada's financial transaction agency Fintrack said that CIBC failed to issue, quote, a suspicious transaction report, unquote, when large sums of money were transferred to Canada and there was grounds to suspect that the transfer was related to money laundering or terrorism. The client had already been arrested and charged, something that CIBC was aware of. And in an analysis of 20,000 transactions, information was incomplete for more than 1,000 transactions. This article from the Canadian Press does not explain why RBC was levied this fine. But if you find an earlier CP story, it says that RBC didn't submit 16 suspicious transaction reports of 130 reviewed cases. TD Bank is being investigated by the U.S. Justice Department for their compliance with anti-money laundering legislation. Next, Wendy Strook from the Globe and Mail is reporting that greenhouse emissions related to wildfires could be double or even triple the emissions that are created by industry. While that's bad enough news, what makes it worse is that official government updates don't include these emissions. When they report on greenhouse gas emissions in 2024, wildfires won't be reported as they aren't human-caused or they happen on their own without someone setting the fires directly. Wildfires and pestilence are considered natural occurrences. In 2023, 18.5 million hectares of forest burned in Canada. Those fires released some 2,400 megatons of CO2. Compare that with the 670 megatons of CO2 released by emissions. Natural Resources Minister John Wilkinson's press secretary, Carolyn Svonken, defended this, saying that the report has to be about what we control, a.k.a. what is anthropogenic. And finally, another story from the Canadian press. The Canadian government has announced its plan to manage the explosion of international students in Canada. The federal government is going to require that international students have double the amount of money that they currently need to have to be able to study in Canada. So yeah, the Liberals looked at the housing crisis, the fact that international students are effectively financing public education and said, you know what, let's just block the poorer students. Immigration Minister Mark Miller also threatened to cap visas in provinces that leave students high and dry when it comes to housing. He wants to see schools that operate like diploma mills, or what he says, the diploma equivalent of puppy mills, be shut down by the provinces. Recall that the feds don't have direct levers here to pull. Colleges are accredited by the provinces, and it's up to them to manage their affairs. But the feds do have funding. The article says nothing at all about how much more money international students will be expected to have or what they're expected to have now. Nor does it say anything about how much average fees or housing costs are. Now, there's a part of this story that is just so liberal. They cannot help themselves. Because they're making it even more expensive, they will create programs for something that they call, quote, underrepresented cohorts of international students, unquote. 
a completely liberal and ridiculous scheme that will maybe help Miller sleep at night, but not do much more. It'll be hilarious for them to look around and say, okay, who's underrepresented here? Is it students from Brazil? Is it students from Italy? Is it students whose parents make less than $200,000 Canadian annually? Let's come up with a program so we can feel better about the fact that all we're doing is making it so that students are not judged based on merit at all, but they can buy themselves access to Canada. It's a pretty disgusting decision, and I think it's a bit annoying that that decision's buried in this story. Those are your headlines for Friday, December 8th. I'm Nora. You're listening to this podcast at sandyandnora.com on the Real News Network podcast feed and anywhere you get your podcasts. Oh, it's Friday. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Happy Hanukkah if you celebrate, and I will talk to you on the other side.